Welcome to the Becoming Well podcast, the podcast that explores the intersection of faith and mental health. On this episode of Becoming Well, we're going to be talking about something that is sort of a buzzword in our culture today that gets many people up in arms, understandably, and that's cancel culture. And is cancel culture helpful, harmful? What can we do about it? Hey, Mary, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you? I love, love, love this topic. It is so needed at this time. And I have to admit that I have, you know, some con- conflicting feelings about it. Yeah, you so this is this this topic of cancel culture was was kind of your idea because you got uh, an article of clothing that I now have that says something different. What does it say? It says, so you know how it says cancel culture, right? But then, so it says cancel culture, but then the cancel is crossed out. And on top of that, it says council culture. It was a great t-shirt and, and, and we have sweatshirts as well, where it's this idea of counseling, you know, make that the culture. And I don't even know it's so much about counseling when I look at it as well, but but just that idea of not immediately canceling someone, do you know what I mean? Or a group of people. So it can be, we could look at wise counsel as Christians. We could look at counseling, the actual go, uh, practice of going to counseling. Um, but it's the idea of alternatives to just canceling people. Because we know if, if, if it was up to God, I would have been canceled a long time ago. Oh <laughs> right? my gosh, me too. So, so true. And, and this is kind of the thing now, right? There's this element of, you know, difficulty kind of sitting with, with those feelings of conflict or discord or disagreement with others. And I think there is certainly a time and place for individuals who've had to fight for their voice to be heard and fight for, you know, relevance and significance when they shouldn't have to be that, that kind of want to step back from these conversations and say, look, you've been canceling me for a long time. What, you know, what, what should motivate me to step into this conversation? Mm-hmm. And see, that is what's, that's what my conflict is, Deb. Mm-hmm. That is my conflict where on the one hand, I'm not so fully sold into the cancel culture because I believe that we all need grace. I believe that oftentimes we respond in such a dramatic way or a dualistic way, whether either you're all good or you're all bad. And I don't believe that we should function in that capacity, like I said earlier, or we all would have been canceled a long time ago, (laughs) you know, whether it's from a secular point of view or, you know, you know, if we don't deserve it and there were no, there was no grace, we'd all be canceled, you know, um, from God. And he gives us grace constantly. But then on the flip side of that, That is where my humanness lies as an African-American woman, where, you know, there are a lot of injustices and some things and ideologies need to be canceled, (laughs) you know? And so that sometimes will creep in. And I'm not, and I'm not really apologetic for that because I do believe a lot of things do need to be canceled that historically have hurt groups of people. Um, but but I, I'm, I'm not of the mind that when we as a society are 
are, you know, just fed up and needing change that we will swing all the way to the other side of the pendulum and not really look into look at things critically. And so instead of saying, okay, we're going to look at this critically and we're going to cancel a lot of stuff within some people, they may have to find themselves and their thoughts canceled. But what I think happened is that, you know, out of, out of, uh, exhaustion, out of, you know, lack of mental energy and mental space and just tired, just exhausted, um, people that we tend to then just say, just cancel anything that is remotely close to that, you know? And so I think that's where the error comes where there are a lot of things that need to be canceled in a lot of ideology, a lot of theories, a lot of things that are really still alive and kicking, but I don't believe that we should make it a habit of canceling people, Yeah, you know, so blindly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Here's what came to mind. We are navigating this situation in Atlanta. I, I'm sure you've been following it where the governor signed in to place this, you know, really what many people are saying is a voter suppression law. Right. Um, and what's interesting is I was just reading this recently that the MLB, the Major League Baseball, uh, they decided they're going to pull their all-star game from Atlanta this year in protest of this law. And the governor is saying this is a classic example of cancel culture. Yeah. And to me, here's, here is kind of what, what would be the, the argument against that position to say perhaps, A, I don't know that this is cancel culture. I think that's misusing right. the terminology. But a great example of a lack of cancel culture mm-hmm. is it, it seems to me a very defensive, reactive response on the part of the governor to say, oh, you're, 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 you're just canceling me out because you disagree with my position, where I have yet to hear anything coming out of his administration suggesting that he's listening, which is counsel, wise counsel, listening to the broader argument of his community, including the mayor of Atlanta, who I think has spoken a lot of wisdom into this situation. Mm -hmm. And that is a good example, right? In terms of that's, you know, in terms of understanding where um, or how the cancel culture even emerged is against those type of laws and against these type of um, injustices and things that are going to, you know, oppress. And I'll use that word and uh, progress and people. And what's happening is this whataboutism or taking that same term and then kind of, uh, and I don't mean this in the way that, I, you know, you'll understand the audience what I'll mean in this way of kind of perverting it in, in, in a way where it takes the purity out of it and say, you know, because where you, you cancel us. So this is what it means to, you know, be canceled. And so to use that and, and, and to kind of twist it and flip it is, 
that's that that is why we're where we're at in terms of cancel culture so now you know because we sometimes tend to be very lazy in our thinking and i'm saying everybody as humans we tend to be lazy in our thinking as adults we do not you know change is very anxiety provoking and especially if we have to be very um thoughtful and be critical thinkers that may threaten our previously held beliefs we will start becoming these we will start becoming lazy and just say, well, this person's canceled, well, that person's canceled, or you're just canceling me because I differ from your opinion. And the thing about it is that's not what that, what it is, right? And so that's why I think all of it's now so twisted because that level, if we take it from a psychological standpoint, that level of anxiety, a, it, it, a lot of people cannot take. And so it's just easier to do whataboutisms, for example, or, you know, say, you know what, if you're going to do this to me, I'm going to do this to you, you know, you know, eye for an eye, and then change the whole definition, change the whole meaning, change the whole understanding of where, you know, things such as cancel culture came about. And so, and it, it, you know, or it wasn't even called cancel culture, but it was that understanding of changing, you know, things that need to be changed. So I think at this point, on all sides, it's just at a, in a space that the whole meaning and the whole um, effectiveness of why things needed to change is now just perverted and, you know, um, used in a way that is just trying to get back at individuals, you know, or if they're not trying to get back at individuals, individuals are trying to use it as an excuse as to why they did something, you know, and does that make sense? Oh yeah. So, okay. We have this great dynamic where, you share your thoughts and then I summarize it, right? We were just talking about this. Right. So I'm going to do that, which is which is honestly a great model of counseling. It's reflective and reframing listening. But you said a couple of key things that really spoke to me. And that's that element of it's kind of used in two ways, or it could be used in two ways as either a weapon or a coping strategy. So, yes. right? So you have a coping strategy it, it used by by I would say individuals, groups of people who who fall into that category of being placed in, like in a silenced position, right? That they're being silenced, they're marginalized, they're they're oppressed, and for for years, for decades, for centuries, that there there has been this expectation that you just you kind of have to be silent and suck it up and deal with it. And so cancel culture in a way is a coping strategy. Like I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. I have a voice. And if you're going to continue to oppress me, we're going to put an end to that. And we're going to put an end to, to you being able to speak in that way to me. And then on the other side, using it as a weapon of, you know, well, you just, you just don't like what, I'm, what I have to say. So um, this is cancel culture. And, and trying to kind of demonize cancel culture or pervert it, as you said, where if we look at it from the council side, A, I would say, you know, as, as a person in the majority culture, as a white woman, that, that there is a responsibility on my part to seek counsel and wisdom and to hear before I start to insert my perspective. Because I've had the privilege of sharing my perspective with minimal pushback for a very long time, generations and generations before me. And so isn't it my responsibility instead of getting defensive and saying, oh, you're just trying to cancel me out because you don't agree with or like what I'm saying, 
Let me actually take on the responsibility of listening to understand where you're coming from, which I think a lot of people misunderstand or mistake for thinking that means I agree with you. That's not actually true. For me to take a humble posture of listening merely means I'm trying to understand at its core where you're coming from instead of jumping to the conclusion that you're just trying to cancel me out because you don't agree with me or you don't, you know, you don't want to hear what I have to say. Well, maybe there's a reason for that. Yeah. So let me ask you this because I asked Craig, my husband, um, yesterday he about this. He was sharing with me and I have no idea how we got to this subject, but he said when he was younger, he got jumped by a whole group of black men when he was younger at a party. (laughs) And so, and you know, he took it very, you know, he was like, it's, you know, it was a party when we were young, you know, before Christ. (laughs) And, and, um, I asked him, I said, you know what, a lot of times for white people, that would be the up. See, I experienced Mm. racism too. And then their, 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 uh, defenses are up and, then there's that's when stereotypes start to emerge and all of these different um like broad responses, generalizations to, yeah, broad generalizations and he's much like you where he you know he it didn't happen for him at all so i said how is it that unlike many other um whites that i will see will use that as see what about that mm-hmm. you know how come you didn't engage in this whataboutism and how come your defenses didn't go up and you didn't generalize a whole community or a whole race and the 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 thing that he said he was like because i've had so many great experiences with african americans before and after that right and so that was his general answer so that brings me to you of what you just said where you said you know what you want to you 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 want to make sure that you pause and think you know what let me see how i can get to the core of what they are saying mm-hmm. so deb in the midst of you being a white woman and having your experiences and they haven't all been great and they haven't all been horrible, but how do you get to a point where you can overlook your experiences or you can overlook the implicit messages that you were born to believe um, about, you know, different marginalized groups and still find the space to want to understand. And that's what I'm trying to understand is the people like you and the people like Craig, how do you get to that point where there's so much divisiveness and there's so much, um, you know, in, in, in humans, so much defense, so many defense mechanisms that come up when we're out of our element or we feel like we're being uh, attacked or we feel like we're being mm-hmm. challenged or our life experience are being challenged, our whole, you know, conditioning is being challenged. How do you as a white woman say, you know what? I want to be able to understand this person, even if it challenges my whole ideology and even if it is something that may hurt me. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, oh, I have so many thoughts. I'm, I'm trying to organize the thoughts. One, okay, so first of all, I think, and you can relate to this too, as a counselor, I feel like I have, you know, you know that book Outliers by yes. Malcolm Gladwell? I don't know if you've read it, but he talks about like something like 10,000 hours of something, you know, practicing something over and over again makes you an, an expert in an area. That's a really bad summary of his book, but it's a really good book. Um, 
I feel like I've got some expertise because of being a counselor. I work with, you know, I've done at this point thousands of hours of counseling, which is crazy to think about, and worked with hundreds of different clients. And I think getting to see the raw humanity of an individual, of a couple, of a family, and really hearing their story and their passion and their foundation and their experiences and their traumas and their hurts and their pains has given me the opportunity to see it's never as simple as a singular interaction. It's not. There's so much more. I mean, we talk about, you know, our interactions with people being like icebergs. We see just what's on the surface and there's just so much beneath the surface. So I think, one, that that serves me in a way that a lot of people don't necessarily get. Two, my own counseling, because what's at its core for me is, you know, in the past, in in relationships where I got defensive, and I'm just talking about any relationships, whether it's like with a sibling or a friend or a family member, my defensiveness so often, and I think most people's does, came from a place of fighting to maintain my sense of dignity and worth as a human being, meaning my identity got sucked into it. And if I was wrong then there was inherently something wrong with me as a human being. And so through years of counseling, as I've kind of rooted out those insecurities, and by no means am I fixed in any way, shape, or form. This is an ongoing issue between me and my therapist. (laughs) But right. But but yeah, so like I can come to the table with somebody and 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 my identity isn't on the table. And when my identity isn't on the table or my worth and my value, then there's really no major barrier to listening to understand. Mm. And, you know, and and that's really oversimplifying it. Then I think the other piece is being intentional because you mentioned earlier, you know, we're we're kind of we're our, basically our brains are wired for the path of least resistance. Right. We're like water. Our brains are like water. It's going to go the easiest way possible. And that's usually that place of kind of defending what we're used to and familiar with. And so I think as we continue to practice, it's just like going to the gym and lifting weights. This is a mental exercise. We we practice that posture of listening to understand. I always ask the question of myself. I challenge my clients to ask themselves this question. I challenge my students to ask themselves this question. What have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? in assuming this posture. And you know what? You bring up something so great. I really want to pause and, and, and pull that out. There, there's two two parts that I want, or two um, sections that I really want to pull out. The first one is, if we take the analogy of that you used of going to the gym, you know, so I go to the gym and I just started going again because I was just like, okay, so I'm going to have to get myself together regardless of this pandemic, right? And go to the gym. But what I realize is, there are times where I go really hard in the gym and I love lifting weights and it hurts the next day. But it's one of those things that we call that good hurt, right? That you know that you did something good for yourself, even though it's painful right now. And that to me is how we should take our posture when we're wanting to listen to other people and and understand people that it may threaten your ego. It may threaten your previously held beliefs, but it's going to be good for you and your character development and your relationships in the long run. But it might be painful. Right. So that's one of it. But one of the things that I wanted to pull up, the other thing is identity. 
So when you said, well, what do you have to lose? Now you can ask that question because you understand that your, your beliefs, your ideology, your theology or whatever you actually hold strong to is not tied to I'm a good or a bad person. Right. And if you understand that as being something that is uh, aside from what you've been taught, aside from what you've never challenged and need to be addressed, then you can say, okay, what do I have to lose? Right. Because you understand that it's not going to be an indictment on who you are as a person. Right. And that is the thing where I think individuals don't want to change because they believe that it is part of their identity. And if they believe this about themselves, what does that say about who they are? What it, and if they say, OK, that means erroneously, they say, OK, I believe this. And so that means based on other people's understanding that maybe I'm racist. And then if I'm racist, that means I'm a bad person. And if I'm if I'm a bad person, then who am I? Right. And so it'll, it'll, it has this long psychological um, inference chain. That's not true. So if you look at it where it's like, OK, I believe this. And it needs it might need to be challenged, just being challenged right now, but you don't relate it to that's who I am and my value as a good or bad person, then you can sit in that discomfort and say, you know what, do I have to lose? Yeah. I think that's huge. That piece of, you know, really thinking about so often. I I, I mean, for me, it comes down to honestly, most of the time the answer to what have I what have I got to lose is time. And we see that as a bad thing, which I think is a huge, you know, we could probably do a whole podcast episode on the phrase, I don't have enough time. It's one of my least favorite excuses that anybody ever gives me. Um, But the reality is when I take the time to either educate myself, listen into a conversation, invest in, you know, a a larger conversation that's happening by listening and by really seeking to understand the gains for community. And I think about how God created us to be in community. The gains for community are huge. And the loss is typically, okay, that took some of my time, but it's such a worthwhile investment because I've learned so much in those conversations about advocating for the greater good of community when I seek the opportunity to gain wise counsel. Let me ask you this. So you and I, for example, um, we'll bring this closer. If there are times, and you have witnessed this, um, that I don't have the emotional uh, space to have those conversations, I can come off very, very angry and cold if I'm in a space where there is a lot happening that maybe um, in our society in terms of injustice or just something that I may have experienced on a smaller level. And we're not going to value whether it's not about being whether it's valid or not. It could be real perceived. It could be vicarious. There are many different ways. So we're not going to do that. Right. Let's just say that I'm in a space And I don't want to have a conversation that maybe you want to have because you are someone who wants to to learn and wants to listen. But I don't have that space. So the the major argument, instead of saying, okay, 
canceling me, right? And saying, well, forget it then, because if she doesn't want to talk about it, then why am I even trying? What makes you not cancel um, people? And I know with me, we're friends, but you know, they're ha- they're at, when we were beginning to be friends, we always came upon these issues early on in our relationship. So what made you want to continue to seek wise counsel outside of our relationship but also not cancel me as a friend when I did not respond in a way that made you feel as it's great. You're trying. I am glad that you came to me, right? Because it's not always um, neat and tidy in terms of building community and not canceling people and really listening to them. Okay. There's a couple of things. First of all, he, this is even we're going to, we're going to get like meta, like thinking about thinking because mm-hmm. you said something and I immediately wanted to come to your defense. And you were saying this in like the, in the proper context, but you said there's times where I'm tired. I don't want to, I don't want to navigate this. I don't want to have this conversation. And I come across, and I know you weren't saying this to me, but you come across as angry or cold. And I wanted to say, that's not fair to you. <laughs> like, I know <laughs> yeah. you were saying it, but I, but I'm like, no, 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 no. Like that may be the perception. And that even even right there is an excellent example of how if I or anyone else is not taking the time to really seek to understand, that's an assumption that is harmful and hurtful because it's not accurate. I mean, it, it could be righteous anger by all means, but it's righteous anger. And instead of seeing it as, well, you're not meeting me halfway, first of all, hello, Let's just say, let's just talk about the fact that that that, that African American black people in this country have had to cross all the all way over to the other side the of the bridge. Over. Right. And so it's not at all that you're not meeting me halfway. It's that, hey, I've walked across that bridge, you know, uh, 157,000 times. Could you walk across the bridge and meet me on the other side? Right. Can you come to our neighborhood now? (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, I think, again, it's the conviction for me of what God has designed community to be and the realization that historically I've been taught one example of community, and frankly, it's a very unhealthy and uh, whitewashed community. It's not accurate. And so, you know, it, it, it is not... It is not hard. It is not impossible. It's not challenging to really be intentional and in educating ourselves on the experience of other groups of people to really seek an understanding, to, to know in those moments. And, and, and certainly our relationship and my relationship in other circles has enhanced my knowledge of that because there's a depth and there's a, um, and there's a, 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 a you know, a personal vulnerability to our relationships that I connect it to a real person versus, you know, reading about or or watching uh, a a documentary or a show or something that speaks to that experience and not really knowing somebody. But, But because we have that personal relationship... You know, there's an element of really seeing the impact and and seeing the impact on somebody that I care deeply about. But I really do think there's there's a need to 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 be mindful of the information that we're feeding ourselves and thinking about is it coming from diverse sources or is it coming from one particular position? And then, oh, you know, if you get information from one particular position or or, or source. How, how can we question the accuracy of that? 
Oh, that is huge because oftentimes we get information from one particular source that usually confirms our preconceived ideas. We just want it as a confirmation. So we typically do not look for information that's going to challenge our thoughts and our in our in our views, right? And that's an actual psychological principle, yes, the confirmation bias. Yes. Confirmation 100%. bias. Absolutely. And so, and we do that with the Bible, right? We will yes. have this idea that, you know, it, it, this, the, the exegesis versus eisegesis, I believe, right? Where it's like you bring in, you, you bring in your uh, views and you attribute those views to the Bible and what the Bible is saying, as opposed to letting the word inform you. Right. And so that's the um, that's the idea where it's like, OK, well, I believe this. Therefore, I'm going to read that. I'm going to watch this show and then they're going to tell, you know, and we're not necessarily doing it consciously or saying it to ourselves consciously. But that's what we do. The confirmation bias. We want we don't want to be in an island by ourselves. We want our experiences to be validated. Right. And that you so you bring something uh, up that's very uh, important. So you use mindfulness and, you know, and this might be a synonym, but it is in that intentionality too, right? That intentionality of saying, I am going to challenge myself and my thoughts, my preconceived ideas, my experiences, or, you know, in counseling, we call it a schema and my views by looking into something else that does not necessarily agree with me and confirm. I might have to go to another neighborhood per se, you know, if we in the neighborhood might be another book, another a news program, another, um, whole community, actually inserting yourself in a community that's uncomfortable for you, right? And again, it's not going to be nice and tidy, but we have to be able to challenge how we think. Like you said, that that uh, meta metacognition, right? We have to think about the way that we think. And if we do that, then we can say, I know I think this way. I know that this is the way that I remember things. This is the way that I um, view things. This is the way that I best think about things or, you know, you know, but understand that if I'm going to grow and have community that God designed us to have, I have to challenge those views and challenge my, you know, my default thinking and, you know, and I might have to take that path with, you know, some resistance. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, you know, you, you talk about stepping into unfamiliar places and again, we want to highlight and emphasize the importance of questioning and being mindful of our posture in those settings and having a posture of learning. You know, I, I think about um, one thing I tell, I work with couple, a lot of couples too in high conflict. And one thing I tell couples is, you know, in all my experience of working with couples as a therapist, I've never met a couple who in the, in the midst of an intense argument had the very purposeful mindset of maliciously harming their spouse or their partner. I've never met a couple who's actually had that mindset. Now, the receiving partner might think, and that's, yeah, they feel that way and they interpret things that way, and that's where defenses get thrown up. But if we can take that posture again of, let me really seek to understand why you're feeling this way. Why? Why? And it, that takes, you know, there, there's a there's a form of counseling, uh, a, a, a theoretical orientation called EFT, emotion focused therapy. I don't know how much you're familiar with EFT, but 
it's this idea that, you know, we get into these cycles of um, pursuing in conflict or withdrawing. And so usually in a couple, there's a pursuer and there's a withdrawer. And the pursuers want to resolve the conflict, like, let's get to the heart of problem, let's fix it, you know, and they kind of jump into conflict when things are too intense and communication is just hitting a brick wall. And the withdrawers, they want to avoid the conflict at all costs, right? And so they, I don't want to deal with this. I'm walking away. I'm hiding. They disengage. And the goal in EFT is to get both partners to a place where they can really soften their defense mechanisms and get to the root of their feelings and their emotions and the deeper experiences that they've had. And I think when it comes to this idea of council culture, Instead of cancel culture, how can we become better listeners and really ask the question of help me to understand? And again, this may be internal because, again, it's not like I think about our relationship. There are times where it's not your responsibility to educate me. And so I'm not coming to you and saying help me understand. I'm asking within myself, how do I educate myself to really understand the why behind this person's response. You know what? I was going to say the exact same thing at the end part, where you may have to counsel yourself so that you do not cancel other people. Ooh, that's good. Can you say, say that again one more time? Okay. So you might have to counsel yourself so that you do not cancel other people. Okay. And I thought about, so REBT, right? So we're, we're talking about theories now, but, but, but rational emotive behavioral therapy is the idea of, it's not what happens to you, but it's the way that you think about what happens, what happened, the event that disturbs you, right? Meaning that there is a whole conversation and a conversation that you have between the action, whatever happened, the event and your behavior. So there's a whole conversation that you have mentally because it's what you believe about that, that dictates your behavior. Right. And when I, when we talk about that internalizing or counseling ourselves, you know, that internalized dialogue, it is often that we have, like I, I said earlier, this inference chaining where if uh, someone says something, and you don't like what they said. It's not the fact that you just don't like what they said. There's a whole long list and a whole inference of what you believe they meant that made you respond in that way. So, for example, I don't like people attacking me because I want this law. Right. If we go back to the whole uh, Georgia thing. So it's cancel culture. It's just a, it's a thing of cancel culture. So he didn't just say that because he felt that's what it is. There was somewhere in here that he told himself, well, if it's, it's cancel culture, you know, if they're attacking me, that may, you know, and I don't know if this is his, his inference, but this is an example. That means that I am not doing a good job. That means that I might, it might be challenging my, you know, my ideas of what good and what bad is. And if, if they don't accept it, that means that I'm not a good person. Therefore, I'm going to be mad because they're saying that I'm not a good person, right? So there's this whole conversation that we have when we have this behavior after an event, but we rarely stop to pause and think about our thinking. Does, does that make sense? Right. And we, so that's a way to counsel ourselves and say, wait a minute. So this event happened and now I'm behaving or I'm, and when I say behavior, not necessarily just a physical behavior, but your feelings in response to that may be anger or bitterness. But let's think about what we thought about the event before we decide that's going to be our reaction about the event. 
Yes. And I think that that then that level of pausing to consider, and I like, we're just using, I'm going to emphasize, we're just using the situation in Atlanta as kind of a metaphor and an example. We're not making a political statement here, but I think about the governor, like you just think about, okay, we have a white, a person from the white majority culture, white male making a decision and Atlanta's been in the hot seat right now, right? There's a lot of people watching what's going on there. And I think, Okay, if you know, like take away whether your perspective is right or not. Let's just take that off the table. But if you know historically that the group of people you represent has has for decades, for centuries, silenced the minority group, then having that awareness to stop and pause and to think about how can I demonstrate before making this decision, or maybe even afterwards I've made a bad decision or a poor decision, Mm -hmm. how can I demonstrate a posture of listening to understand? There are a number of amazing people that I can think who are speaking into what's happening in the situation down in Atlanta that whether you agree with them or not, have a voice, that you could say, let me cross over the bridge to the other side and listen to where you're coming from. Yeah. What's at the heart of what you're advocating for? Mm -hmm. Whether I agree with you or not, I want you, I want to hear. I want to hear your perspective. And it makes me think of, there's a story in the Old Testament of King Rehoboam. He was the son of Solomon, the irony, right, of Solomon, the king of wisdom. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And here comes his son, very much lacking in wisdom. And, you know, he comes into power. And the first thing he does almost seems like it's going to work well in his favor to be a wise king. And that's he seeks counsel. Um, And because because the Israelites have come to him and they've said, King, uh, your father had a very oppressive, heavy hand in leadership. And we are hurting, we're struggling. Can you please ease the burden, ease the yoke upon us and and treat us fairly? And Rehoboam goes to the wise counselors Mm -hmm. of the time, the men that have walked and journeyed for years and have the wisdom and the experience. And he's young, he's a young king. And and so he goes to them and they say, listen to the people, listen to the people, lead with with compassion and grace yes. and graciousness, ease the burden that your father placed upon them. And and Rehoboam's like, I wanna I wanna hear from the people that think like I do, because I don't like that answer. And so he goes out and confirmation bias, he seeks the answer that he's looking for. He reaches into you know, or he reaches for the wisdom of the people, of the guys that he grew up with, the guys who are going to think the same way that he does, who look the same way that he does, who've had the same experiences, grew up in the same community. And they're like, no way. If your dad was heavy handed in his leadership, you lead with more oppression and a heavier burden. And the result was that, you know, the brokenness of the kingdom and Israel being in rebellion, I mean, literally to this day. Yeah. Yeah. It changed the course of history. Yes. And, you know, and I think one thing that we don't see in that picture, which is what we're talking about here, is we also don't see the king reaching out to the people and saying, tell me more about your experience. Tell me more about why you're motivated to come to me in this way. And that's tied, that's how it's kind of tied to, 
you know, how oftentimes I can be so upset and so angry. And I, I think the word that came up when you're, you know, as you were talking is just this empathy and this constant dying to self, you know, and with, you know, when I talk, when I think about all of this and this, you know, all these dimensions and all this stuff that's happening, I always get convicted and I mean convicted in a way that's just so humbling and just so loving from God where, okay, Mary, there's a lot of injustices that you believe that were done against you and that were, you know, and, but then there, you know, are you know, there, there's me. So what do you do? What do I do with that? Do you know what I mean? Like, where do I, sometimes I'm like, God, you know, and you know, I'm Job sometimes, and I don't ever want to put myself up with Job, but just that feeling of where are you? What I didn't, you know, what, what is going on? And, you know, and then you always have, you know, Job's friends <laughs> told you that you did something incorrect. And that kind of reinforces my anger. Like I just, I'm existing. You know, I always ask myself, how can I still be a child of God and show his grace show his mercy, show his empathy, um, and still have faith in the midst of all this. And what, and it may say, it may seem simple when I say this, but it's very difficult to practice for me, especially, and for others too, but for me, especially in the midst of just anguish and sadness, is that I know what he went through, what Jesus went through, to save me, you know, to, to where I am. And I, and I always think about, okay, so, if I didn't have his grace, if I didn't have his mercy, who would, where would I be? You know, and I'm nowhere near that, but, but I, I, you know, and he, he has to constantly work on me. And I always say, God, just constantly speak to me, constantly speak to my heart because I'm hard hearted right now, you know, and that intentionality and that, that, um, that honesty and authenticity that, you know, God and I, you know, we, we have a good relationship, you know, he understands my language. And so, <laughs> I'm like, Lord, I'm beefing right now. Are we beefing? You know, <laughs> and he, he can take it. And so he, you know, it's this constant reminder of you can hold both. That's what I usually tell, you know, I, I just feel like you can hold both where I can be angry and, 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 and have these, these, these emotions like Jesus had, he was flipping over tables. He was like, you know, he was doing, he had righteous anger, but still have this empathy and, and love for people at the same time. And so for me, that's what keeps me, I just wanted to make, bring this in where, you know, in terms of how our faith looks, you know, how we look at this in terms of our faith, where we don't have to be all joyful all the time and not, and still ignore injustices or it's still, or, or cancel people where I'm like, we can hold both. I can be hurt. I can be sad. I can grieve and I can bring it to him. And he says, you know what? There are times where he, he has to, un he, uh, he, he takes away that hardness of heart, but he doesn't take away the passion to be able to do things for him to build his kingdom. And that might be change in the world. Do you know what I mean? But I can hold on to both of those aspects of I still love him and he still loves me. And I still have these feelings and these emotions, but they're used for his glory. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's it. That is the essence of what we need to be striving after. That's the bigger picture. That's it. I don't, there, there's nothing more to say because that was so beautifully articulated. Thank you. God is good. 
God is good. And you, he is. you you're that was like black church right there. That was like that was black church. That was black church. <laughs> We need the organ to come up, the choir, please. Uh, we're yes. ready to, to, to We are ready. Five, five to ten altar calls. We need all that right now. Oh, this is so good. I, I think, you know, I, I'm praying. I'm praying that I can continue to have that posture of humility and learning. I'm praying that we will start a movement of council culture versus yes. cancel culture. It's so necessary. Yes. And yes. Um, thanks for always just being willing to have those conversations with me and for pushing back when, you know, it's a space that you need to just rest and I need to counsel, seek that counsel within myself. I really appreciate our friendship yeah. in that way. I, and you know what I, I, you know, I echo that back to you where it's like, there are times where, you know, I feel like I might lose our friendship because of the things that I can't even articulate. And I might just be, you know, I might stonewall or just be very, you know, um, distant. And there is this grace that you constantly extend and you do take that posture of looking deeper and not seeing it as something that's hurtful to you, um, uh, in terms of in my intention. So I thank you so much for giving me that that space and not feeling as if I have to be on or inauthentic in my my pain a lot of times. So I thank you so much for that. And you know what? We got to shout out Black Women's Lives Matter again for Seriously. this whole topic. We are going to take a picture together with our sweatshirts to be able to say thank you for this conversation. Yes. Yes, I love it. Well, this was a great episode. Um, I hope for our listeners that you're tuning in, you can find us on all major podcast platforms. You can find us at becomingwellpodcast.org, O-R-G. And if you're on there, you know, give us a like, five-star review. We love your feedback. And even send us some questions because we will address them in future podcasts. So thank you for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode.